is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Tonight, with all the complications of life and living, all the tension in our society right now, all the political hoo-ha, as the bushfires rage and as brave firefighters fight them, as the year winds up and as we consider what is in store for 2020, we still marvel. Tonight and every day at Jesus Christ, fall on your knees, oh, hear the angels' voices, oh, night divine, oh, night that Christ was born. His birth, yes, but more importantly, his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, it's marvellous. The late Richie Benno would be proud. St. John writes, the word, the eternal word, became flesh, as Laurel outlined as we began our service, and he made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The prophet Isaiah marveled at this some 700 years before the birth of Jesus, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, to us, not just to Mary and Joseph, a child is born, not a manifesto written, not a government program offered, not a budget package, as, all, as important as all those things are to us. A child is born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This, of course, is gobsmacking. While I was living in New York City, I was friends with a wonderful gentleman, a, a Jewish rabbi, who was the chaplain, the Jewish chaplain of NYU. He loved to talk about Jesus and invite me to Sabbath meals to talk to his uh, um, fellow travelers about Jesus, but he himself did not believe or follow him. He said to me, you know what? This one, this verse, Isaiah 9, this one is troubling for us. Such honesty. 
The same Isaiah cried out to God in suffering, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. We sung it a moment ago. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. From me uh, and my family and from the church that meets here weekly on Church Hill, we wish you and those you love a marvelous Christmas. We invite you tonight to take a Bible from the end of the pews. Take it. Most churches put in there, this is the property of St. Philip's not to be taken. I want you to take that Bible and put, this is my Bible. And here's the test, the litmus test. If you know in your mind right now that you could walk into the front door of your home in half an hour's time and find a readable, modern Bible within three minutes of walking into your home, then take one of those Bible. The person who donates them says to me, you're not giving away enough of them, Justin. Take it, it's yours. What is it about Jesus? Everywhere he went then, people were amazed. They marveled. Even now he captivates hearts, billions, mine included. Napoleon Bonaparte, nobody quite knew where he stood religiously, but he had a conversation that was reported about Jesus while he was exiled on the rock of St. Helena. There he had time to reflect and he sat and called Count Montholon to his side and said to him, can you tell me who Jesus Christ was? The Count declined to respond and Napoleon countered, well then, I'll tell you. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this day, this very day, millions will die for him. I count myself among them. He goes on, I marvel that where the ambitious dreams of myself and of Alexander and of Caesar should have vanished into thin air, a Judean peasant, Jesus, should be able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and of nations. We've framed up our Advent and Christmas series, A Marvelous Christmas. It obviously parallels Marvel superheroes. I'm so glad that we made it through without a cease and desist letter. Spider-Man, Hulk, Iron Man, each of them, of course, with their own story, their own super gifting, and usually how they use their strength to save and defend. But Jesus is different on so many levels. A figure of history, not just, the, not just from the imagination of a creative. It's a true story in the days of Caesar Augustus, in the days of Herod. He's not a superhero, and yet he saves lives. He's no... Superman, he's not a man of steel, rather he's frail flesh and yet he defeats death, he is God with us. This evening we continue our Advent series from our Sunday services with another They Marveled text from the Bible and whereas they marveled in the passage that Anne read to us a few moments ago, it's right there in verse, from verse 16 on page 16. So they, the shepherds, verse 16, hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. All who heard it marveled. The original word in the original language of the Bible that's often said in this place is the word to be in wonder, to be 
awestruck, to be astonished, to be amazed, to marvel, to be gobsmacked, which is why those words are at the end of your pews. Someone once said, you can imagine this visiting the Grand Canyon, for example. Someone said, wonder can't be packaged and it can't be worked up, despite how good the music is. We can't give you wonder. It requires, said this writer, some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. So tonight, by faith, we go there. I'm going to take you to three places. And by listening, and by the way, listening, especially in community, as we do each week as we gather uh, to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, by listening, we have a sense of engaging to truly marvel. And I don't just mean the the thrill of hope way. I mean in a transformative, substantial way. I'm going to suggest that we need to go to three places tonight. We need to enter three doors to truly know God. I want to explain why you, you have to enter those three doors to truly know God. Firstly, there's a door in Bethlehem, and I want to invite you to walk into that door. Secondly, a door in Galilee. In fact, thousands of doors in Galilee. I'll come to that in a moment. And thirdly, a door in Jerusalem. In fact, an upper room after his death. So firstly... I want you to knock tonight on a door in Bethlehem and enter. Presbyterian writer Frederick Beekner wrote this. He wrote, For followers of Jesus, Bethlehem is not the end of our journey, but only the beginning. Not home, but the place through which we must pass if we're ever to reach home at last. Why must you pass through Bethlehem? And the answer is because you might, if you don't, Start in the wrong place. You might, for example, start with power and position and majesty and glory. You might start with politics, government or church. You might start with human monarchy. But there in Bethlehem, quiet, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And in the same way, God imparts, maybe even tonight, God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. We're invited at Christmas to look into our little town of Bethlehem then, when Caesar Augustus ruled the world, Luke 2 verse 1. We're invited to travel with Mary and Joseph to the town of David, verse 4, to come to Bethlehem and to enter a house, not a palace, not a white house, but a humble dwelling, and we're invited through that home out the back to a, a more crowded area because there's, there's no guest room, and to peer into a feeding trough and to see a, a child, a son, wrapped in simple cloth, verse 7. And we're supposed to say, I'll never look at the world in the same way again. Just like the rough and hearty shepherds in verse 8, I think of the shepherds the way I think of firefighters. They're terrified, not for a fire, but for an angel. And I believe in angels. Verse 10, the angel said to these shepherds, do not be afraid. And they only ever say that when you would be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people because in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And the sign, I love this, is the child in the manger. Verse 12 and so in verse 16 they rush and they find the baby in a manger there he is 
while the wise men later will worship him. And Herod breathed threats against him. The shepherds evangelized. They were the first evangelists, verse 17. They spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard this word, this message, marveled at what the shepherds said to them. And they returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they'd seen and heard. Oh, come, let us adore him. Why is it important to walk through that door? Well, it's because you'll discover that humility is at the heart of God. Love, yes. Grace, of course. Justice, yes. But humility is all also at the heart of God. Humility comes from God. It's derived in Him. The one clothed in majesty and might, the one who created heaven and earth, the one by whom and for whom and through whom the world was created, took on frail flesh. Just like Laurel said a moment ago, my wife, by the way, closeness was what was wanted, presence. And for that, the near and familiar was chosen and not the grand and far away. The Apostle Paul will later write, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who, being in nature God, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I urge you to enter that room tonight. But remember, Bethlehem is not the end of our journey, but the beginning, the place through which we must pass. So I want you to invite you to another door, a set of doors in Galilee. Of the Gentiles, by the way of the sea, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Any door in Galilee, quite frankly, because that's where he started his ministry and where people got excited. Jesus didn't stay a baby. He didn't stay in Bethlehem. He returned home. Luke 2, verse 40, he returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, where he grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And later he was forced to Egypt, as you know. But up there in Galilee in the north is where his ministry began, Mark records, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. North! I mean, you can go there now. I mean, who's been there? You can fly into, what is it, Tel Aviv? Start in Galilee and work your way down to Jerusalem. He proclaims the good news of God. These are his first words in his ministry, really. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, right here. Repent, turn around, and believe the good news. God made this world and he wants it back. A Jewish carpenter. Isn't this Joseph's son? He grew up to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, especially the religious ones, especially the moral ones, the good ones. He ate at tables with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes who knew their need rather than the rather good people. And that's because Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So if you think you're morally healthy, you're in a difficult spot with the living God. Jesus went on, I've not come to call the so-called righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why he died. We'll come back to that. But it's important to go to Galilee because he never did the international speaking circuit. He never promoted his own fame. It's impossible to imagine Jesus creating Jesus.org with a giving link. And yet travel the world today, look in churches, art galleries, certain hospitals, schools and charities and while they're all frail, and I promise you they're frail, witness the care he awakens. I've been challenging my church over the Advent season to go to Fisher Library 
at the University of Sydney, into the stack where there are thousands of books about Jesus, dozens of rows about them, and find one book negative about the life of Jesus. I promise you it's not easy. His life was remarkable. His words profound. His miracles baffling. His death and resurrection life-giving. John Dixon here in Sydney said this, without a doubt, the best case for Christianity is the life of Jesus. Why do we have to travel to Galilee? Because God, in the end, is not looking for middle-class values, and he's not looking for religious people. He's looking for sinners to repent, lepers like me to heal, broken people to be put back together, willful people to be forgiven. And so we need the third door, a door in Jerusalem, in a room upstairs, after the whirlwind of Christ's death, after the mocking, spitting, the crowd calling for his blood, after the disciples watched their friend die and Mary saw her son crucified, Simeon said to her, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And after he was laid in a tomb dead, the disciples, for fear of those who killed Jesus, were gathered in an upper room to work out what's next. It's now back to business as usual. The politics have to happen. The Romans are still in charge. The sword appears, the power weapon of choice, the status quo remain in Jerusalem. The fires continue, if I can put it this way. And the disciples had lost their hope because their hope was in live Jesus, not dead Jesus. But there in that room, Jesus appeared, risen from the dead, risen as king, risen as a type of the future, risen as proof that death had been defeated, a victory over sin and Satan and death secured. If he lives, I live. It's marvelous. Born that man, no man will die. Born to raise the daughters of earth. Born to give them second birth. I urge you to enter that room, all three rooms. What happens if I do? Well, if you choose to pray a prayer with me in a moment's time, when you knock on those doors and you enter in, it's called repentance and faith. You find Jesus Christ alive and reigning and making his blessings known far as the curse is found. You find Jesus Christ, or rather, he finds you. And it turns out he enters hearts, which is a way of saying he has a relationship with you and you walk with him. As Carol says, no ear may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, this world of complication, where meek souls, humble souls, will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Let's pray. Father, tonight we choose Jesus Christ, the joy to the world. The Lord has come. We choose the humility of Bethlehem, the ministry of Galilee, and the death and resurrection there in Jerusalem. Enter our hearts in this moment, silently even. Give us grace. Forgive us our sins. And show us the hope that comes in him.